Hey friends, welcome to Wild Confidence Podcast, where we help one another find, keep, and share our confidence in Christ. I'm your host, Ainsley B. It's an honor to bring you some inspiring conversations with amazing guests. Before we hear today's conversation, I want to kindly ask if you'd leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend who might like it. I'd also love to connect on Instagram, so find me at Ainsley B. Okay, I can't wait anymore. Let's get to know our guest. Hannah Granowski Burnett, founder and CEO of Generation Distinct, speaker, preacher, and author, has always been wired to abolish cultural complacency, unleash lasting justice, and join the wild adventure Jesus invites us all to live. A passionate movement maker, social influencer, and voice for her generation, Hannah now speaks at leadership conferences, churches, college campuses, and youth events around the globe, and is the host of the Generation Distinct podcast. Hannah's latest book, Generation Distinct, Discovering the Wrong You Were Born to Make Right, released on September 15th, 2020. Hannah, how are you today? I'm so pumped to have you. I'm so excited to be here. I am such a big fan of who you are, and so I'm so excited for this conversation. Uh, same. We have already like had an hour long phone conversation before recording today. We've already talked for a little bit and, um, you are just the best. And, um, I just can't wait to, uh, share what you have to say with everyone else because we could talk forever. We could. I feel like we have so many similar passions and sometimes you just jump on a phone call with somebody and you're like, man, this is like a soul sister. This is somebody I can talk to. I can relate to. And that was that phone call. And so I'm excited. Now we can just go public with our, with our, chat. <laughs> with our friendship. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you founded um, something called Generation Distinct. And I, like whenever uh, my friend Daniel actually sent me your name and he was like, you got to connect with her. I was like, okay, cool. And whenever I saw what you were doing, I was like, okay, this is awesome. Let's go. So what prompted you to even start Generation Distinct and what is it? Yes. So I'll go with the end of that first and then we'll kind of rewind through the story. So what okay. Generation is today is we're a nonprofit that exists to equip young leaders to discover the wrong they were born to make right in a way that leads them to experience who Jesus really is. So mm. we just had this realization that so often young people are so passionate. We say we want to change the world. We say we want to fight for justice. We say we have a passion we want to chase after. But if you look at what's happening, there's very little action being paired with the passion. And so we were wondering, like, mm. what's missing? Like, why is there so little change and action coming from a generation that says they're so passionate to do things with their lives? And what we realized was missing was that, that gap of strategy. So if we could just fill that gap with some strategy, then how much more would we see the next generation not just be passionate, but be radical world changers doing things that really work to bring lasting change to the world. So that's what we do. We have a six month online uh, program. It's a coaching program that we call our world change strategy program. And it's wow. six months of intensive training alongside other young leaders um, from around the country, culminating in an in-person event um, that happens once a year. And so that's basically what we are today, but that's not what this always was. I started this way more as a dream um, as a 16-year-old. So I'm 25 today. Wow. And basically when I was 16, I had the amazing gift. I always call my parents my unfair advantage in life. 
because they just gave me this awesome picture of what it meant to follow Jesus. And so for me, there was never a time in my life when I didn't want to follow after him. He was always the best option. My church was a really engaging church. My friends were also chasing after Jesus. There was this adventurous, gritty nature to how I heard about Jesus in my church and my family. And so this Enneagram 7 was like, (laughs) yes, if he's going to bring me this like wild, exciting adventure, I want in on that kind of life. And so when I was 16, I remember writing in my journal, all right, Jesus, like I've been living a good Christian girl life. I serve at church. I have good Christian friends, but I want more. Like I want the next level. Here's my life. Like here's every part of who I am, whatever you want to do with my life. Like I'm in. And basically that kind of launched this, this few months journey of me just on my knees a lot as a 16 year old. All right, God, what do you want to do with my life? moments of worship. All right, God, what do you want to do with my life? What is that thing that you put on my heart to accomplish in this world? Well, fast forward a few months, I found this book that was kind of built with this idea of presenting a lot of the major injustices in the world in hopes of helping young people figure out which one they were most passionate about. So being a very logical person, I thought, awesome, I'm going to grab this book. I'll sit down, I'll read it all in one sitting. And then like, few hours that I want to figure out what I'm passionate about and I'll go change the world tomorrow. Like that was my plan. And so, you know, I sat down on that day as a 16 year old and I started reading a chapter about homelessness in America. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is my passion to go save all the homeless people. Right. And then I flipped the page and it was about human trafficking. And I thought, oh no, 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 never mind. This is my passion. I'm going to go save all the, all the girls out of human trafficking. And then I flipped the page <laughs> about orphans across the globe. And I would say, oh no, no, never mind. This is my passion to go save all the orphan babies, right? And needless to say, I got to the end of that book and was truly more confused than I was when I started. And so I remember kind of whispering to God in that moment and saying, God, I don't understand. I care about all of these injustices. What are you trying to tell me? What does this mean for my life? What do you want me to do with my life. And in that moment, again, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I didn't hear a voice. There was no writing on the wall, but it was like this very clear impression. I feel like I got from God. I felt like he was saying, Hannah, you're not called to solve all of the injustice in this world. Instead, I want to use you to empower a generation to solve injustice in this world. And in so doing, you have a greater impact. And so I ran up to my little bedroom at the time and I had a little whiteboard. And I started drawing out all these ideas and plans and dreams and visions for what it would be like to equip my generation to discover what their passion was and then somehow train them on that passion and send them out to actually make wrong things right in the world. And that was the first time God gave me the vision for Generation Distinct. Fast forward a few years as a 20-year-old, I was looking around a lot of my generation and just sensing this apathy, this this, um, this lack of action, this big talk and little game, right? A lot of people saying I'm passionate, a lot of people saying I want to change the world and seeing very little change actually happening through their lives. And I started to ask the question, why? And at the same time, those very same people were also walking away from the church. And I was really confused because I love following Jesus. He had always been the one that brought me into a life of purpose. When I would ask these peers of mine, hey, why are you walking away from the church? They would say they were searching for things like purpose and passion. They wanted to be unleashed and equipped to fight for justice. And they were not receiving that in the local church. Yeah. And their heart broke. 
And I was so confused because I realized these young, young leaders, they weren't walking away from Jesus at that point. They were walking away from a warped and misguided view of who they had been told Jesus was. And so I just had this idea, man, if we could just help them get to know who Jesus really is, the one who gave them the desires for, for purpose, the one who gave them their passions, the one that gave them a heart for justice, how much more committed would our generation be to following after the greatest movement maker of all time, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And so that paired with the original vision at 16, and at 20 years old, I gathered some friends together. We started dreaming about what this could be. Two years later, we started it as an official nonprofit. We spent about two and a half years building this six-month curriculum, and we just launched it publicly in September of 2020. And now we have young leaders going through our cohorts. They start wow. every month, and it's been quite the journey. That is wild. Fun. That you that this this all happened or started when you were 16. Yeah, yeah. It is wild. And it's fun. That's incredible. That's not necessarily um, everyone's story. And I don't think it should be, but it is fun to know that the dream that God gave this little naive, overly zealous 16 year old <laughs> is something that he he's allowing me to do today. It's really humbling. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I'm thinking about um, this, the calling on your life and the calling that's placed on my life, I remember hearing from the Lord when I was 15. I just didn't yeah know that that was him. So I didn't know how to take action or what that even looked yes. like. Yes. And you and I were in a clubhouse room yeah. <laughs> together. It's, we've been in a few, but there was yeah. one that, uh, you, you said that there's no junior Holy spirit. Yeah. And I loved whenever you said that, because it really, uh, reminds everyone that young people do have the Lord speaking to them and giving them a calling on their life so young. And I mean, looking even at, you know, women in the Bible, so many people were so young whenever they just accomplish incredible things that are literally in the text that we learn from and grow from. So, um, I love that you said that. And I love that your sweet 16 year old self was overzealous and yes. your Enneagram seven is so all or nothing. It's like, it really is. <laughs> it's so fun. And I think that y'all are really hitting the nail on the head when it comes to action with, with, or passion without action is yeah. missing strategy. And that strategy will be able to pair those two and really launch something forward. So um, I'm very excited for everything that y'all are doing and how it really will change the world. And um, man, I just love that. I love the process that you had to go through to uh, hear from the Lord and actually put those things in play. And you said you started it with a bunch of friends. I did. I did. Basically, yeah. I went to my two best friends at the time and I said, hey, I have this dream. I don't know what it even means. I don't know yeah. how to accomplish this, but will you do this with me? And we would have staff meetings like once a month, we would meet in coffee shops and like <laughs> literally call them staff meetings as though like we were this thing when we weren't. And they yeah. were the ones that helped us just build this and dream and make it what it is today. And I will always say, it's so much harder to start something by yourself. Yeah. But the best way to start something is to bring people with, you because then the hard awkward moments don't feel hard and awkward they feel funny right like you laugh a lot more you laugh at yourself a lot more you realize that you're not crazy a lot more and it just is something so much more beautiful when you say hey can you come with me I don't know where we're going but 
trust me enough that you want to be along for the journey. And those two friends were, were such gifts and they said yes. And um, for, we'll forever be grateful for their, for their buy-in so early on. That's amazing. Now, whenever you and I um, talked previous to this conversation, we really were just diving into mentorship and how crucial that was. And I'm thinking like, as you were creating this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Did you have someone that was guiding you and kind of walking along with you as a mentor? And what did that look like? That's so good. Yes, absolutely. And I believe this, um, again, this is part of my unfair advantage in life is the amount of people who believed in me before I ever should have been believed in. And that's one of <laughs> yeah. my parents. My parents are incredible leaders in their own right. And they're both first generation followers of Jesus, but they just wow. have all in and they have created a, a, an environment of leadership in our family. And so all three of us kids, my siblings and I, were just kind of launched into leadership because my parents spoke that into us. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 18, I started working at a church and I was on full-time staff there and the lead pastor, yeah, the lead pastor just believed in me before, again, anyone should have. And I was leading a team of 40 volunteers and they were putting me up on main stage and they were just giving me so much opportunity to lead and to fail. And when I was 20, my strategy wasn't just to start doing this. It was, I'm going to take, so I left my full-time church ministry job at 20 and um, I went and I found a bunch of odd jobs that would support me enough and give me flexibility so I could start this thing called Generation State that I had no idea what it even was. And I would spend my free time meeting with any mentor who would like spend time with me. So these were business consultants, these were CEOs, these were pastors, these were ministry leaders. Anyone who I could get a hold of, I would say, can I sit down with you? I would fly to some people and just say, hey, can I get a few minutes of your time? Because I wanted to surround myself with wise people. And I would say, hey, I don't know what this is. I know what I want to accomplish. I have no idea how to get there. Will you help me? Will you poke holes in this? Will you clarify this? And for two years, I had people come around me and do that very same thing. So I had that for sure. But then at the very same time, I knew that I wanted to be a woman that wasn't just growing in leadership. I wanted to be a woman that was growing in my personal walk with Jesus. And I knew I did not want to be another leader who burnt out on ministry, who dropped out because of a moral failure or whose character was not as strong as her leadership. I wanted Mm. actually people, the more they got to know me, the more they respect me. Mm. And so I knew that meant I had to have some really deep rooted character and spiritual depth. And so um, I started meeting with a mentor and I pursued her. And I'm very passionate about that. That's not her job to find me. That was my job to find her. There was a woman in the um, in my area who was a pastor. Her and her husband planted a church together. And she's a powerhouse. She's an author and speaker and just one of the coolest humans ever. All my friends and I used to say, man, it would be so cool to have Aubrey Sampson, Sampson as my mentor. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to ask her. And so I was the only one that asked her and she said, yes. And she was so busy, but she made space for me. And she was in the midst of writing, I think her first or second book at that time. And so sometimes I would come over and she'd say, hey, I just finished writing a chapter. You can come over right now. The house is a mess. You can sit at my kitchen table. I'm making lunch for my kids, but let's talk. And she made space for me 
in the midst of normal life. And because of that, I got to see the way she lived in every part. I got to see her when I would go with her and see her preach on a stage. But at the same time, I got to see her when she had no makeup on and hadn't showered in days and there were Cheerios all over her floor. And she was okay with me seeing both. She invited me into her life and not forever changed myself, my leadership, but it also changed the way that I mentor other people um, because she has been such a, a full access kind of mentor to me. There have been times when she said, I'm really busy this week, but do you want to go grocery shopping with me? And we can talk while we walk through Target. And we've done that. It was amazing. And um, it's so cool because that's been six years now that she's been my mentor. And now wow. her husband are um, so um, mentors for um, Aaron and I. And so now they do, they do it together for us. They do couple mentoring now for us, which is so mm -hmm. amazing. So she has just been such a consistent part of my life and her, in addition to all the other leaders who believed in me, created space for me. Some mentors were a one-time meeting, other mentors were six years, but all those voices have made me who I am today, I believe. I don't know if you have ever had a mentor before, but I know for me, it was an absolute life-changing experience. I had people walk beside me who were older than me or maybe had even just been through difficult seasons or different seasons than me that were just so inspirational and helpful and kind whenever I was going through those or whenever I needed accountability for something or even just encouragement to reach a goal. If that sounds like something that you might need, I offer online mentoring and I would love to give you some more information on it. Email me at info at AinsleyBritton.com and I will let you know all that online mentoring entails, costs, and all those fun things. So I hope to work with you one day and just answer any questions that you might have. Again, the email is info at AinsleyBritton.com and I hope to hear from you soon. And this is a little bit of a rogue question, but I'm wondering, you know, what are, what are the elements of a good mentor or how, how do we be a good mentor to others? What does that look like? You know, when I was um, probably 17, my church was really, really passionate about this topic at the time. And I remember going to like a midweek gathering and the executive pastor at the time, his name is Tommy Bowman. And he got up in front of kind of like the core of the church on a Wednesday night. And he drew on a whiteboard these dots and these lines and these arrows. And basically he broke it down to this. He said, hey, Jesus had a few different groups of people. He had the 72, he had the 12, and then he had the three. And he said, and a lot of those people had access to Jesus, but the closer you are in that number, the more access he gave. And he, he did not have the capacity to give the same access to the 72 as he did to the three. Hmm. And that's okay. But there are some people that are need a greater access to your life and every part of it than others. It was only three that got to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration and see that it wasn't the 12 and it wasn't the 72, right? 12 people went to the Garden of Gethsemane with him while he was sweating blood and praying. It wasn't the 72, right? There are certain people that get more access to your life. And Andy Stanley says it so well. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. 
Mm. And so I believe mentorship is saying, hey, I know that I can't give everyone inner access. Aubrey Samson couldn't give a million people access to her kitchen. All the women that read her books, all the women that listen to her podcast, they don't all get to go and sit in her kitchen and get to know her kids and learn from their marriage. But she looked at me and she saw something in me that she believed was a calling of God on my life that she could relate to. And she said, I can invest in that. I want that. And so I believe one of the biggest things about mentorship is access. Mm -hmm. And I don't think mentorship, like the depth of mentorship that I'm talking about is ever really accomplished if you just like get together over coffee every now and then, because that's, that's a piece of it. But I believe the realest kind of mentorship is when you say, hey, come over, come into my life. Um, and that, mm. that has changed how I've mentored as well. And that now with my girls that I mentor, I don't just say like, hey, let's get coffee. It's, hey, I have a Generation of Saints video shoot. Would it be fun for you to come and hang out and just see my community and, and see what I do professionally? Or, hey, um, you want to come over tonight and we're going to we're going to make some food and chat. Hey, I have to go to Target. Do you want to come with me? I know you said you wanted to talk and I have a crazy week, but I would love to take you with me as I run errands. It's something about giving access to the life where then we realize, hey, this is not just something where they say the perfect answer. We get to see how those individuals who are above us or ahead of us make decisions on a daily basis. And there's something about access that shows us the real life of what it looks like to follow Jesus in every part of our lives. Yeah. It's incredible that you had so many great people just surrounding you and pouring in. And I mean, obviously that, that is a hundred percent the Lord giving you the ability to pour back out and giving you the capacity to pour back out. So I'm just blown away that that you a took the initiative to reach out to those people or see those people or contact them. And, and I think that a lot of people get lost in that process. Like they sit around and wait. Have you found that? Absolutely. I am so passionate about that. And I, I'm so grateful again for my mom. She's also a seven. And so we're both (laughs) just kind of like, we do things, we do things fast for better or for worse. We're both, you both have strong eight wings as well. And so she always taught us growing up, you know, a lot of parents might, you know, if if they came home and said, no one sat by me at school today, they might be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or I'll talk to your teacher. No, Mm. my mom would look at us and say, well, get up and go sit by somebody and introduce yourself. Yeah. And she always communicated to us, hey, it's your job. There is nobody who's responsible for your life except for you. So if you want Mm. something, you have to stand up and you have to go after it and you have to do it. And I think that was one of the greatest lessons my mom gave us because like, I see so much of our generation that say, I wish I had fill in the blank. I want to do whatever it is, but they're not willing to take the step and risk somebody saying no to them, risk the rejection, risk somebody saying, I don't have time for you. And so I, I think we as a generation need to realize it is nobody's responsibility to create the life that we want to live. If we want to start a nonprofit, we have to reach out to people who started nonprofits and ask them how to do it, right? If we want to yeah. write a book, reach out to someone who's wrote a book and, and ask them, right? When there were certain mentors who I would email them and say, hey, I know this is crazy, but if I get on a plane and fly out to where you are, will you spend an hour of your time with me? And they would say, um, I guess so. And I got <laughs> to go to these 
some really prominent leaders whose names you would recognize, like I would just end up in their living rooms talking with them, or I would end up like, they would meet me after they spoke at a church and we would have whole, you know, hour long conversations. And these people would just create space for me because I showed a certain level of hunger. And I think in some ways we as young leaders have lost our hunger because we're so used to the society that's cultivated towards us that said, whatever you want, whatever you need, we have systems and programs and structures for you. And I think we as a generation need to say, no, there are some things we need to just be hungry enough to grind it out, to hustle it out, to make the big ask, to risk the rejection and say, no matter what, I am responsible for the calling of God on my life. And if it doesn't happen, if I don't live out the calling, it is no one's fault other than my own. And so if we're willing to take that ownership of our lives, I believe that's when we see the greatest prospect come, you know? Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm seeing that so much with uh, just people in, you know, on Instagram or in my DMs or something we were talking about calling recently. And people are often saying like, it's taking too long. And, um, and essentially I, I essentially what you're saying, like the fear of the no, or they just need a permission slip or something like that. And A, I love that your process, it sounds like from, you know, whenever you really started doing the uh, side jobs and to the launch is about four to five years ish. Would you say? Yes, absolutely. So in that, and I mean, shoot, I'm just now able to do what I'm doing full time in for the last year. So it took me some odd years as well, over yep. five. I, I wish I knew the number right now. I'll have to calculate it after. But um, <laughs> but the thing that I think I want everyone to hear is that it's not overnight. It's never overnight. The work, you have to put in that work. Exactly what you're talking about. You have to go and do and meet yes. and ask and pursue. Yes. And, and I think to. that is such a big myth when it comes to starting your own thing is we think things are overnight successes or yeah. we think it just happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so often, even people who say, man, I mean, it, it'd be nice. Like it sure would be nice if I got to, you know, run a nonprofit. I'm sure it would be nice if I got to have a podcast. Your life must be so great, which first of all, we know it's not all that glamorous and great. But at the yeah. same time, I want to say, Yes. But at the same time, I was making like barely any money when I was a 20 year old that left a very comfortable church job and took odd jobs that I really, really didn't enjoy very much. And I was naming for a few hours there and then teaching music lessons, which again, like the reason I don't do music now is I actually don't even like music, but I was teaching music (laughs) lessons. I was like babysitting whenever I could. And it was kind of embarrassing sometimes too. When I had friends who who were building their careers, who were having success, who were building their financial stability. And I was over here babysitting so that I could have enough money to put gas in my car. But I knew there was a calling on my life. And when people see my life now or see generations say now, I want to say it wasn't always like this. And this was a five-year journey. And so if you want this in five years, it has to start with a really unglamorous, non-Instagrammable, really embarrassing moments where you're willing to say the dream's worth it because the calling of God in my life is worth it. If he's calling me, obedience means sacrifice. And I would even argue if there's no sacrifice involved, 
like how much can this really be of God? Because Jesus' call is not a life of ease. It's a call to pick up our, our cross and follow him. And so yeah. if we're not willing to make any sacrifices for our call, I would say, ask the deep question of, is this a dream of God or is this a dream that just makes me feel good in the moment? Absolutely. That is such a good, a good point and a good thing to think about. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I can just think back to whenever I was so sure of my calling in college and my friends and family being like, that isn't even a job to just, <laughs> you know, talk and write yes. and like, yeah. what are you even talking about? And I'm like, yeah. no, no, this is what I'm, I just know that this is what I'm meant to do. I've, I made a list of all of my strengths and my desires and the things that I'm good at and the things that just come naturally. Like I'm thinking about speech class, right? Some people freeze and they're actually terrified. And I'm like, I'll go first, you know, yes. unafraid. I will get up there. No problem. But that's something that came easy to me. I didn't even recognize it as a gift until I really sat down to process that. And I, I think that, I wish I, well, first of all, I moved around a lot. I continue to move around a lot. We're just very uh, nomadic people over here, but I wish I would have stayed somewhere long enough to dive a really deep with mentorship with a mentor. I've always had mentors, but, but they've kind of been like either from a distance or maybe we lose touch, you know, like you're saying, I couldn't just go with them on errands if I was living somewhere else. Right. Which I just love. I think that's hilarious. And also just so good because young people have time to do that. That's right. Like when you're in high school or college, you have time to just run errands with your mentor and it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, do you, do you think that some of your confidence came from that mentor relationship? Yeah, that's a great question. I think honestly, this is kind of a unique thing. I don't talk about this a lot, but I think one of the things that has given me confidence, um, not that I'm always confident. I have plenty of insecurities and moments of fear and moments of failure and moments when I, um, I have to call a friend or a mentor and say, I think I'm pretty much the worst leader ever. But (laughs) I think a lot of the confidence that has come from my life is in the way that my family cultivated when I was growing up, a way of speaking to each other. Mm. And I didn't recognize it when I was growing up. I thought it was normal. And when I got older, I realized how rare it was. But our family, I, I've realized now, has an incredible habit and way of speaking life over each other instead of speaking death. And Aaron um, always teases me that he'll be like, as Hannah always says, the words you speak hold power of your life. And that has become one of my mantras because I didn't realize how big of a deal that was in my life until I saw how many people didn't have that. And that was fostered for my parents. And I even see that still today. Um, They still do that to each other. They still do that to us as kids. They now do that to their grandkids. And we see that practice. That is a biblical concept all throughout scripture. First of all, it's taught so much in Proverbs, which is my favorite book of the Bible. It's so, it's such a big part of what Proverbs is of just saying, hey, just speak to people with life. Um, But it's also the way that God speaks to his people. We Mm. see in the story of Gideon, when Gideon was this little nobody, he was from the smallest clan, right? Like he was this nobody. And God said, hey, you're a mighty man of valor. 
We see in the Mm. story of Esther when she was just some random orphan girl and God saw her as a queen, right? We see in the story of Mary when she was some teenage girl out in a field, you know, engaged in marrying. And all of a sudden, God saw her as the mother of his son, right? We see it in the story of Peter when he was this loudmouth fisherman that kept messing up. And God said, yo, you're the rock of my church. God never looks at people and tells them who they're not. He tells them who they could be. And I think our world would be so different if we did that for other people. We can either speak life over people or we can speak death. And I believe one of the reasons that I have been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish is not because of me. I'm nothing special. I'm simply a daughter of God and a vessel. But there, God surrounded me with people, my family to be first, and then so many mentors after that. My pastor, John Peacock, my mentor, Aubrey Sampson, um, so many other mentors as well who would look at me and say who I could be. I was 18 when John Peacock, my pastor, who's the pastor of Mission Church in Chicagoland, he looked at me and said, hey, I I think you're going to be an author and a speaker one day. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, (laughs) and I had so many people say those kinds of things to me. And so if there's anybody listening who is a mentor, if you're investing in anybody, my biggest piece of advice is if you want to instill confidence within them to go after their calling, if you're a parent, if you're a sibling, if you're a spouse, this is our role to speak into the life of other people and tell them who they could be. Speak life and not death because people will become the things you say to them. And my parents did that really well. If I said, hey, I think I want to be whatever it was, they would say, awesome, we see that in you. Let's make it happen. When I would say, hey, I have this dream, but I'm afraid, they would say, hey, we see this in you. Let's help you make it happen. And that, I believe, is something that gives you confidence because, again, that's not empty words. That's saying, hey, I see what God is doing in your life. And if God is doing it, there's nothing that can stop you. And there's nothing like the confidence that comes when you get an earthly reflection of how God sees you. That is simply us reflecting the voice of God to people in our vicinity. It's like being a mirror, right? It's like, mm-hmm. all right, God sees all people the way he created them to be, the, the, the beautiful, most perfect view of themselves, right? And so if God sees them that way, we can just hold up a mirror and have that reflect right back on people around us. And that's, I think, when we're going to see people unleash into the confidence to go after their calling. So good. That's so good. <laughs> I mean, you're so right. Tell them who they could be by speaking life over them. That is some life-changing stuff. I mean, even just to hear it, like, and you're talking about as a mentor, as a spouse, as a parent, sibling, anything, like any role that you have, you have the opportunity to speak life over other people and that it could be the greatest gift that your mentor or um, as a mentee, you know, that you could give as a mentor or that you could receive as a mentee or just a person in general. Oh my gosh. Right. That's right. Exactly. Come on. Lee, that's so good. Oh my gosh. So that's kind of, that really helps with your day-to-day confidence Mm -hmm. as you're walking this, this life out. Um, but whenever you find yourself doubting or in a low place of fear and insecurity, what does that look like and how can we pull ourselves out of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'll just be really vulnerable and real because that's not my core, but I'm growing in that. I mean, (laughs) I felt that way yesterday. 
I had a moment yesterday where I felt really insecure and I was embarrassed because my personality is very much like I'm going to be um, the leader for everyone else. And I want to be the girl that's like really low maintenance and really easy and really self-sufficient. So I can just lead everybody else towards a better future. And I, um, I also struggle because I'm trying to be a leader in a somewhat um, male dominated world still, right? Yeah. But there is still a reality of, I, I feel a pressure to prove myself that I'm really non-emotional and non-needy because I'm a woman and I yeah. want to show that I'm not that way, right? When in reality, mm-hmm. I am a woman that what God created with great intentionality and that's a beautiful thing. And so anyway, what I've learned about myself is that I will continue to try and cover that those insecurities up when they flare up. I will try and pretend they're not there. I'm really, really good at just putting on a smile, going to the gym and working out and being like, I'm fine, hmm. that fixed it, that was great. But yesterday I made a call to a friend and I said, Hey, I'm really embarrassed right now, but I'm vulnerable because this insecurity flared up today. And I just need you to know, because I'm trying to foster more vulnerability in my life. And so that was, and I told them like probably five times, I'm really embarrassed by this. I'm so (laughs) embarrassed. I'm even struggling. I'm so embarrassed. I even have insecurity. And they were like, that that's, that's okay. That's a normal part of life. And so I think for those of us who feel Um, like we have something to prove or we really, really want to be seen as a leader or we need to be really low maintenance or we need to make sure everyone else is okay, that there's something powerful about calling a friend and say, hey, I don't actually want to tell you this. This isn't me like loving the attention. This is me saying, I don't want to tell you this, but I feel insecure right now and I need somebody just to speak truth into my life. Um, and so that I think is something that I'm learning in real time to say, Hey, I'm weak (laughs) and I hate to feel weak. Um, but if I can air out my weakness more then I realize there is a deeper level of connection that comes out of that and a deeper level of humility. And also it reminds me of my humanity in a really healthy way. And it reminds me, Hey, you still have a lot of work to do. You have not arrived. And nor should you think that you have, and that's okay. And so I think it also just breeds dependence. Like I need Jesus. I need his redemption. I need his redemptive power in my own life. But at the same time, like I need the community that God has put around me. And if I'm not being honest with them, then I'm not actually utilizing them to what God has put them there for, you know? So I truly think one of the most freeing things is simply saying, yo, here's it. Here it is. Here's what I'm struggling with today. Here's the lies I'm believing. I know they're crazy. And I could convince them myself out of them by myself, but I'm choosing right now to air it out in front of a safe place so that I can experience that deeper level of healing. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you said that it fosters humility because I'm taking notes like crazy, like a crazy person. And one of the things that I wrote down is like, you radiate humility, which I don't know that I've ever written that down about anyone because it's so rare. (laughs) But I a hundred percent see this, uh, humility in you. I mean, fire, power, all of those things. Absolutely. (laughs) Like for sure. But also this like sweet humility that I think that God is calling all of us to embody. So, um, I, I think that it's really neat that you touched on that because that tells us how one way to get it right. And it talks, it, it, 
goes back to what you said earlier about bringing people with you. I mean, that's exactly how you do it. Vulnerability invites people in and, and brings them with you. So I, I just love that you said that. Now I'm thinking about like 16 year old Hannah or 18 year old Hannah or 20 year old yeah. Hannah, any of those. Yes. <laughs> what advice would you give her knowing mm. what you know now? Yeah. I'll go back to 16 year old Hannah. Cause I really love her just because she kind of started this whole thing. Yeah. Um, I think I would tell her it's going to take longer than you think it will, mm-hmm. but it's also going to be better than you think it will be. Mm. And, um, there's something about when I was 16, I wanted, I wanted the glamour and the impressive story, honestly, like I can be totally honest with that. Um, I'm honored that you see humility in me because it's something as a, as a strong type, I have to battle pride on a daily basis. And, and so as a 16 year old in my own pride, I wanted to live a life of passion somewhat for the glory of it somewhat so that I could have my name in the paper and say young 16 year old solves human trafficking <laughs> like I <laughs> wanted the story to be written about me yeah. and uh, I think I needed God to write it slower in my life otherwise I think it would have put me in a really really bad character place and I probably would have um been way too prideful at some point for God to even use anymore um, it would have been a stumbling block for me for sure. And so I think I would want to tell her, Hey, it's going to take longer than you think it will. Um, but it's going to be better than you think it will be. Um, I also think I would want to tell her it's going to be hard because again, I think a lot of us, when we start the dream, we think it's going to be really fancy and really cool and when you get your first speaking gig, there's going to be a lot of money in it. And they're going to fly <laughs> you out. And then and there I was like my first speaking gig, like driving in my little beater car for no money, like spending money on gas, you know, like all the things that are not glamorous. And I just think if people are listening to this and they're at the beginning of the dream, they're at the beginning of the calling to know it's going to be hard and it's supposed to be. I, I don't, I just don't think that God gives us easy callings because he didn't give his son, the one we're supposed to emulate an easy calling. And so I think I would go back and tell 16 year old Hannah, Hey, this calling is going to be hard. It's going to take you longer than you think it is. Um, but it's going to be better than you think it is too, because it's going to develop your character. It's going to humble you. There's going to be exciting moments. It's going to be an adventure. Um, and you will never regret that you started now. So don't wait one more day. Don't wait one more minute because I'm so glad I started when I did. And don't wait for someone else to give you a permission slip. Come on. Go for it. Just do it. You know, a lot of people are like, I'm afraid I'll mess up his calling over my life. And I'm like, you don't have that much power. That's right. That's right. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And like the thing too is we can't mess up too much if we're following the last thing that Jesus told us when he was on earth. Like at yeah. the very end of the day, sometimes I see pe- people say, I don't know where to start. So I just am like waiting. And I'm like, the reality is you might not know your, your exact expression of living out the great commission, but God gave you the great commission. The last thing he told us while he was on the earth, before he left, like his, his last words were, yo, go out and make disciples of all nations. 
So at the very least, if we don't know what God has called us to, we can go out and make disciples. We can be investing in people one-on-one. We can be pastoring people. We can be discipling people until God tells us the next thing, like do the last thing he said, and that is to go out and make disciples. And so if you're like, where do I even start? What does this look like? When I was 16, I got that vision, but didn't actually start anything until I was 20. And then it didn't launch until 2020 until I was 25. And so, but when I was 17, I started discipling girls. Yeah. No one saw it. It wasn't glamorous. I would wake up at 5 30 a.m. I would drive to their houses and pick them up. They were middle schoolers. I would meet with them for an hour and then I'd drop them off at school. And then I would leave and I would go to my odd jobs and try and figure out what generation this thing was going to be, right? Like there was, there was very little glamour in that, but I knew I had to at least start discipling people. Yeah. And I can honestly say like, that is still the richest part of my ministry are the young women that I started discipling when I was 17. And I had that vision. I was 16 and I started dreaming about it. But that doesn't mean I waited. I started just discipling people. And as I did, I learned way more to how to build Generation Distinct by investing in the actual next gen I was trying to reach than any sort of studies, book reading, conferences I could ever have attended. Wow. That's so good. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. And amen. All the things, all the things. And you're doing so much pouring out. You're leading, you're discipling, you're mentoring, you're writing, you're creating. So with all of that pouring out, you know, the best way that we know how to pour back in is through prayer. So how can we pray for you right now in this season? Wow. Yeah. Um, so we are in an exciting season of Generation Instinct in that we are still like in this first season of actually having cohorts go through. And so truly I, um, like a more organizational prayer would be that we would have the exact right young leaders go through our program. We have a vision for, we had just went live with it over, um, uh, over a year ago now. Um, that we're going to have 2,023 young leaders go through our program by the end of the year 2023. And so wow. we are praying for just a movement of young leaders who actually have a strategy to live out their calling. And so just praying favor over 2023 and 2023, which is our initiative. Um, and then for me personally, truly, I, um, I feel so strongly that when it comes to the character of a leader, our world is sick and tired of seeing leaders not be who they say they were. And man, the more that I get to know some leaders, the more disappointed I am. And honestly, I've had moments when just like yelling out, like no one is who they say they are. And so I, I mean, I am constantly asking for prayer for my own soul and my own character. Thank God. God would continue to develop my character in the private places so that I'm a leader who stays, who is faithful, and who lasts for the long haul. Not for me, but for the people I'm leading, for my family, for the people that I know, that I will be more um, like Jesus the more that you get to know me, that people see more of Jesus the closer they get to me. Yes. Every leader needs to be praying that prayer. Come on. Come on. 100%. I love that because it's so true. And I'm going to echo that last one. I'm going to take some prayer too, because I always want to be who I say I am. That's so true. And I just, that's something that we will pray over you and our leaders right now. 
the ones Come that on. were under. Amen. So all, all a blanket, a blanket prayer, but also very specific. Yes. Hannah, thank you so much for hanging out and just pouring out. Yeah. We're just so thankful for you and everything that you're doing and yeah. just can't wait to see what God has for you next. Come on. Thank you so much. And thank you for just being a woman who elevates the voices of other people and celebrates people so well. And um, and I just feel like even after our brief conversations we've had, that there is this depth in you that is so beautiful. And I think depth is what is what draws people to you. And so thank you for being a leader of depth who actually <laughs> walks out what she preaches. And I just respect you so much. You are the best. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for hanging out today. I pray that you're able to see yourself how the Lord sees you so you can hold your head a little higher and shine your confidence a little brighter. I would so appreciate if you would leave a review, subscribe, and share this with a friend. And of course, I want to stay connected with you. Find me on Instagram at Ainsley B. And my website is AinsleyBritton.com. See y'all later.